This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Everybody and welcome back to another episode of Time Sensitive. I'm Sam and I'm sitting here with my co-host Ian and Kate. What's that? Hi. <laughs> uh, if if you have never uh, listened to us before, we are a movie podcast that kind of talks about movies that have gone under your radar in the last year and a half. We like to cover them, make sure that you get a little better feel for some of the movies that you probably missed. This week is a special one because we had you involved uh, in the decision making. Of this movie, we ran a poll a few weeks ago with Late Night Plus One and her smell, her smell, her smell. yeah. And you all selected Nisha Ganatra's Late Night, written and starring Mindy Kaling, written by, <laughs> written by, <laughs> yeah, written Mindy Kaling. Yes, this 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 populous selection yeah. for the one that y'all knew. And if you have no idea what we're talking about, that means you're not following us on social media. Follow us on Twitter at TS Movie Pod. Find us on Facebook at Time Sensitive. Instagram, Time Sensitive Podcast. Social media us. Find us there. You can you can vote to see or to choose our movie in yeah. upcoming shows. So. And we had great involvement and we really appreciate the votes that we did get. And if you have never listened to us before, this is uh, spoilers included. So if you are really wanting to watch this and you have that Amazon Prime account or you're scamming it from your cousin, get on right now. You're going to want to see this and uh, get back to us uh, after, you know, hour and 42 minutes later. Yeah. Three, two, one, play. Welcome back. Welcome We're back. Thanks so for glad that you enjoyed pause. Late Night. <laughs> yeah. I just want to get our conversation kicked off tonight with oh. uh, Kelly Kapoor quote in in, <laughs> okay. uh, in honor of Mindy sure. Kaling. First of all, how dare you <laughs> for everyone that voted for this movie. <laughs> and this was an overwhelming uh, support for Late Night. Yeah, this one won big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we are speaking of Kelly Kapoor. Mindy Kaling wrote this film. It's her first feature film, but she's obviously known. She wrote 21 episodes of The Office over mm-hmm. its uh, eight-season run. Eight sure. seasons. I've watched it multiple times, but I can never remember. Do y'all know Mindy's first project? That really is like her claim to fame that got her you know, no, uh, recognized by writers on The Office. I love this story. Go ahead. No, I don't. Mindy and her best friend at the time were living in New York City and struggling, and they wrote a two-person show called Matt and Ben about Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Fantastic already. Played by the two women, played by themselves. <laughs> Perfect. And the plot of the two-man show is that the script for Goodwill Hunting falls from the sky into <laughs> Matt Damon and Ben Affleck's apartment and lands on their coffee table, and they have to figure out what to do with it. <laughs> And they did this show, they wrote it and did it at like several fringe festivals and both like got a lot of projects booked Hmm. out of it. That's amazing. So because she basically joined the office without any prior experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I I recently read her book maybe like a year ago and it's it's fairly old. It was written while she was while the office was still running. Mm. But yeah, she was a very, very new writer in that writing room and she was kind of like a, a hothead about her work. And so she tells these really funny stories about how she would get really upset about 
feet really constructive mm-hmm. feedback at the table and how she would like quit all the time and her and, like she would leave and be like i'm if it can't be this way i'm leaving and <laughs> would leave and then would get home and be like oh my god i was basically handed this job on mm-hmm. this show that is incredibly successful i'm such an idiot and would like her mom would call her and be like you're an idiot you need to go beg mike sure for your job back and she would always come back and be like can i have my job back? oh my gosh <laughs> yeah See, I I never really. She took off. I wasn't. I was a late comer to the office, so I only watched it like in the last three years, maybe. So uh, she was new to me there. I of course knew of her, and then the mini project came along, and mm-hmm. right. she does a lot of uh, small writing projects that you know she's uh, behind the scenes with. You don't see her on screen. Mm-hmm. So this was uh, her first movie where she's really a lead character that she wrote for herself. But you might recognize her from outside of, of the office from the mini project, which was a, a an Emmy nominated show. Sure. Uh, of course, the office was huge. I don't know if she won any Emmys for that for writing. I'm sure she she was in contention. Um, but she teamed up with Nisha Ganatra, who is also uh, a female of Indian descent. Sure. And uh, Nisha Ganatra, I, I love her story, too, because I never heard of this person before. And looking her up, uh, I've never seen any of her movies or heard of any of her movies, even. Mm-hmm. Her whole shtick from the very beginning of her career was independent film. And she started off in independent film, and she moved into television. So She's done a lot of TV a work. A lot of TV. Oh, okay. She's probably most known, though, for her writing and producing and directing work for Transparent, the, the okay. Amazon show. Right. Mm-hmm. So she's got a long history with Amazon here, which makes mm-hmm. sense if this is an Amazon movie. But she really wasn't the first one attached to direct. It was actually Paul Feig. That makes sense, Does too. Does it? Okay. Paul Feig, yeah. Is it Feig? Okay. It's Feig, yeah. I can never remember. I always pronounce it wrong. But her, her first movie was Chutney Popcorn 1999, which I'd never heard of before. But she, at the time, was looking to expand uh, an Indian female perspective. And she had a writing partner that was looking to explore the lesbian perspective that they didn't think was enough uh, had enough prevalence on film so they wrote a movie about an Indian female lesbian character developing and we, I think it's about surrogacy and it's I, I haven't watched it but it looks okay. really interesting so I might uh, want to check that one out Chutney Popcorn She's so she's gone from independent film into the more auteur style of television with Transparent she's done a couple of other shows yeah I think I think I saw New Girl on her yeah. on her list it, oh, it seemed okay. like a lot of uh, like sitcom-y stuff yeah um, but some Transparent a little bit more serious but also a comedy mm-hmm. and I think that made a lot of sense with how this movie felt yeah it did feel like a full season of tv wrapped into uh an hour and 43 minutes Mm -hmm. just because there were so many different subplots written in there were that i was like oh this probably could have been explored more if it had been a television show rather than a movie yeah Mm -hmm. it's i I never would have thought about that and you hit it right on the nose because there's so many television people involved in this project yeah i mean not just like mindy kaling of course is an episodic writer i mean we're used to that style from her um and then nisha who of course has got a history in television but we've got uh reed scott who who spent uh seven seasons as dan egan dan egan Um, i wish he would have been more dan egan in this movie (laughs) from what he was so nice from veep Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Julie Dreyfus mm-hmm. uh, just wrapped actually. So this is yeah. his first project after the completion of that show. Mm-hmm. Um, another uh, television person, Amy Ryan. Yeah. Holly Flax mm-hmm. from from The Office. Um, and The Wire, right? Yeah. 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 Greatest, oh, that's right. The greatest yeah. Greatest TV show ever made. Yeah. Uh, John Lithgow was on Third Rock from the Sun. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. He's, he's, of course, a, a and stage the be- actor. the all-time best season of the show Dexter. Oh, okay. Which is with the Trinity Killer. If you watch only one season of Dexter, make it season four, the Trinity Killer season, John Lithgow is terrifying in it. Okay. Yeah. I he I just know that he's in the new Pet Cemetery and he looks creepy in that. So oh, I didn't clearly, know that. yeah. 
I mean, how can we talk about his his or how can we not talk about his most famous role as Lord Farquaad in the Shrek series? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> but no, the, this movie is so interesting to me just in how it came to be because you know they had the small independent budget to create this movie. I think it was made on like four million dollars or something, which yeah. is pretty small considering yeah. uh, the stars that were attached to this. I um, mean, it was it premiered at the Sundance Film Festival this year in 2019, so in January of, of this year, and it was acquired by Amazon the day after it premiered. So oh, there wow. was actually a late night bidding war for this movie ended mm. up taking the record for the highest uh, uh, film sale in Sunday history for U.S. distribution only with a $13 million acquisition cost. Wow. So that means Amazon paid $13 million just to distribute it in the United States. So that means there's other companies that are distributing it worldwide. But I just thought that was an incredible thing to pull out that this movie, which to yeah. me didn't seem worth that kind of money. Right. Um, was was sold to this huge streaming platform with connections, of course, because of of niche and, and sure, yeah. Well, and it it, it kind of makes sense because the movie, like with the plot, it's pretty straightforward. But it seems to tick all the boxes that sh- this movie should be very relevant, yeah, to what's going on right now in yeah. television and in Hollywood. However, I don't I don't know. It just everything seemed to fall flat. So it made sense that a lot of money was spent for it because mm-hmm. this technically could have been a huge movie. Yeah. It just didn't work out that way. They were trying to strike a really difficult balance where they were trying to say so, so much that was yeah. really relevant to the time while still remaining kind of delightfully commercial. Yeah. Ooh, a very, very tough balance to strike. And I feel like somewhere it got a little bit off. Yeah. And in doing that, I, I, I wrote this down as a note before. I was like, it lacked any subtlety yeah it, it, mm-hmm. it was it was trying to be so easily digestible that it it like just kind of threw all these thoughts in their face because they were trying to cover so many different things yeah mm-hmm. it felt like a like a drawn out snl sketch where there were inside jokes within people that if you missed the first part didn't really make any sense later yeah a lot of callbacks yeah a lot of callbacks but also a lot of things that were just so flat out obvious that I really wasn't interested in where they were going. You know, yeah. I wasn't invested. So, but it's interesting to me that Amazon picked this up because they're, you know, trying to be this new art house independent distributor. Right. Where they're competing with Netflix. I don't think this would have ever done well on Netflix just because it no. Netflix throws so much at the wall. This would have been missed totally. in all of this stuff. Yeah. Especially Netflix comedies have been missing a lot as of mm-hmm. late. Um, but it joins the ranks of other 2019 Amazon films. Britney Runs a Marathon, which is a hilarious but very serious movie. I can't wait to see that. I that, loved it. That might eventually end up being an episode. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Because yeah. it's, it's not a comedy by any means. It's a very serious a uh, dark movie about uh, self-worth and isolation. And it, it was actually just a wonderful thing to watch. And then those trailers are very misleading. Intentionally. I think Amazon yeah. does this on purpose to bring people in. In addition to that, we've got Honey Boy, which is the Shia LaBeouf, Lucas Hedges project that's coming out that's semi-autobiographical. And then their big uh, Oscar runners this year are going to be The Report. Uh, which is about the uh, torture report so that stars Annette Benning and John Adam Driver and John Hamm. Yeah. yeah. Backing up just yes. one second. Honey Boy, directed by Shia LaBeouf. Semi autobiographical about who? About him. It's Shia about LaBeouf. Him. Yes, it's about his life. So we get to life. see Lucas Hedges play even Stevens. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. Wouldn't that be hilarious? Yes and no, because he does play him, and then Shia plays his dad or a version of his dad. Who apparently was a was an awful stage okay. father. So Color me pro- intrigued. So they're probably not going to show him on the set of Even Stevens. Though. <laughs> Doubtful. 
I actually, I don't think he directed it. I, I think it's a female director that directed American Honey. I can't remember what her name is. I'm, that's I'm another awful. another movie that Shia LaBeouf was in. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I think there's a connection there. I I, okay. I have to look that one up. Sorry, um, I just had to clarify. No, no. I'm glad. I'm glad. But just Amazon has got a really wide array of things. That was the whole point to bring that up. Um, but let's talk about this cast because this cast is huge. We already mentioned a few of the the famous names in it, but we ignored. Probably the most royal name in the whole yeah, thing. the most famous. And this is why I can imagine that there was a pretty big bidding war of this okay. over this. I feel like this cast, when you see this on paper, mm-hmm. it's there. It's yeah. got it. Um, yeah. And yeah, so that's why I can Im- imagine that people really, you know, someone really wanted to get their hands on this. Yeah. And, and we're talking about the star Emma Thompson, mm-hmm. who this role was written for her. Mindy Kaling said mm-hmm. that when she was thinking about what to write for a feature like movie, she's like, I know Emma Thompson needs to be in it. And how can I write around her? <laughs> and cute. she thought that this was the perfect thing for her to do. So Emma Thompson, uh, if you don't recognize the name, you would, might recognize her from her. She's really kind of a Jane Austen adapter i think is what her what i would put her in a, in yeah. a, a term would be uh she was in howard's end she won academy award for best actress for that and then she won an academy award for adapting uh jane austen sense and sensibility in, in the mid 90s and i don't really know much else about her career other than those you know 90s accomplishments i always used to confuse emma thompson with natasha richardson yes yeah because okay. they looked very similar and emma thompson was actually married to kenneth branagh who is a big Shakespeare guy. So okay. can you imagine Makes that marriage sense. where they're just quoting Jane Austen and Shakespeare next to each other the entire time? That I married? would feel like the dumbest person ever. <laughs> yeah, sounds infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> but she plays Catherine Newberry, who is in the context of the story and most likely in the context of history, the first and only late night female comedian talk show host. And uh, Catherine is, uh, has been running this show for decades. It's been very popular, but over the last few years, it's got seen declined ratings, right. and people are losing interest. She's losing the demographics that she used to carry, and she just learned that she's going to lose the show, mm-hmm. which is where we enter in Mindy Kaling, because they think the best way to, to fight this battle and to keep the show in the hands of Catherine right. is to bring in uh, what they call a diversity hire. Or I think mm-hmm. she says, let's make affirmative action work for us, mm-hmm. I think was how it gets going here and this character Catherine Newberry is very reminiscent of Miranda Priestly we we're we're not upset that the show's really tanking or being taken away from her she's she's established right away as kind of the the enemy yeah she's not really likable a woman who hates women a woman who hates women a woman who hates women she's become very (laughs) complacent to be as her fame has grown so she's very lazy on the show like all of this is just all of the ratings are justified and you come to hate her and it seemed like she she thought more highly of the medium of late night shows she wanted to have really important women on the show Mm -hmm. to interview but they weren't getting any kind of fun segments or anything like that on the show Mm -hmm. Um, it turned into far more serious which isn't really what late night's about at least not in the context of her show yeah i mean she wasn't doing the serious stuff well enough to make it popular and what didn't help was that she had a writing room filled of young white guys mm-hmm. and uh, they were playing the same jokes over and over again. The monologues were still same thing, um, which is where we bring in Reed Scott as kind of the he's as Tom is the lead writer right. on the show and a bunch of other beautiful white guys that all kind of do the same thing <laughs> and look the same. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the guys in there was the bigger guy who is a, uh, who I'm Manusco. actually a big fan of Paul Walter Hauser. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, Manusco, you're Manusco. right. Yeah, and he's in a number of projects that you will recognize. He's the, he plays Sean, the total doorknob in I, Tanya, 
the one that's kind of responsible. He plays for the it. dumb guy real well, really well. And by the way, important note of of news information for movies: he's playing the titular role in Clint Eastwood's new Richard Jewell movie, which comes out in December. It's a completely surprise release about the security guard who was accused of bombing the Olympics in 1996 in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Are we surprised that Ian brought up a Clint Eastwood movie <laughs> and a totally to. random? situation that's not random it was not (laughs) random he was a cool he falls in the trailer you recognize him from that um but but they bring in they bring in mindy kaling against uh more of a nepotistic standard hire of of tom's younger brother right because they're quote looking for a woman that's all they've been tasked with is look for a woman speaking of tv people dennis uh i can't remember what his name dennis lahane or dennis Something he's from American Horror Story. He's right, that's what he, I recognize yeah, him from. Yeah, he plays her assistant or her manager or something like that uh, to bring in her. And there's this joke in in that session where they're talking about bringing a woman, and I thought was just like it really set the whole movie in a bad tone for me. Was uh, she was like, "We need to hire a woman," and he responds with, "Would a gay guy work?" And I was like, <laughs> "Okay, this is archaic old humor. That's like yeah. I don't find that funny at all." Mm-hmm. Um, so that really kind of put a bad taste in my mouth from the very early mm-hmm. part of the movie. As great as Emma Thompson is, and she basically carries this entire thing herself, I kind of felt left right then and there that like this is not going to be anything that breaks the mold of any kind. Right. Yeah. So as we move through the plot here, we don't really need to explain this because it very it explains itself how how yeah. it works. Mm-hmm. Mindy Kaling comes on. She's discriminated against because she's the only woman in this large group of white men. They don't listen to her. And she worked at a chemical plant. <laughs> oh my god! Where that's her experience in stand up is making punny science jokes yes. over the loudspeaker at the factory that she works at. Yeah, but, yeah. But she as a as a student of comedy, she loves mm-hmm. Kathy Newberry's show, and she she wants to do well. Um, but of course, you know, she butts heads with everybody right off. She just wants to do good. I mean, I mean, this is so sugarcoated. I can't even say and, it. And all she really does at the beginning is she comes in with a bunch of things that they're doing wrong without any mm-hmm. solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, starts off on a bad foot. Yeah. 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 Um, which isn't a bad, like, it wasn't a super bad thing to be able to come up with some of the flaws, but she didn't come up with any ideas until I think near the end of the movie, she, or she started coming up with more ideas. Well, the abortion joke is the first thing she tried. Right. And Catherine was not ready to go there. Yeah, she skipped it. Yeah, so she starts making these these more political jokes, trying to make her more relevant, mm-hmm. and Catherine doesn't want to make the change at first because she doesn't think that it's necessary or the audience will come to her. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that you invoked Devil Wears Prada because that was the first thing that came to mind when I, when I even before I watched the movie was, okay, this is like a watered-down version of Meryl Streep in Devil Wears yeah. Prada. she wasn't quite as mean. Well, she, I mean... Miranda Priestley is even likable at times just because of how much Meryl Streep puts into the character. Mm-hmm. I never once thought that Emma Thompson was redeemable in any way. I mean, she was no. just kind of half good, half bad. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, And she never really had the arc that Miranda Priestley has in The Devil Wears Prada, where you kind of, at the end of it, you're like, oh, like I feel bad for you. And at the end of this one, she's still, um, Catherine was still kind of a just a mean person. Mm-hmm. I mean, even at the end, when she comes to reconcile with her, she first hopes that her driver will go up and bring her down to bring uh, Molly, Mindy Kaling's character, back down the stairs to meet her in the limousine. And then she has to like, oh, I have to walk up these five flights to get to her room yeah. to talk to and her. And then her whole argument is, I need you. Yeah. The show needs you. Yeah. Help me stay successful. Her, yes. arc, her arc is, I'm successful and I stayed successful. Yeah. There's no, there's no redeeming there. Well, because she gets called out from this YouTube personality she brings on, right? Because mm-hmm. that was their attempt to try to make her relevant again, was to make her guests more relevant. Mm-hmm. And this girl just rips her a new one because yeah. she's completely disrespectful to her as mm-hmm. a guest. And and then Mindy's kind of seen as this this black sheep of the group, but then she's also the savior of the group at the end of the movie. It's very stereotypical in that way. 
But there's really nothing that changes about Emma Thompson's character. She stays mean. Yeah. She doesn't really have any... And even the tackle serious issues like like uh, affairs, cheating, personal, uh, very personal things. And then at the end, her husband right. just like, you know, well, we've had more good times than bad, so I forgive you. And it's funny because she faces obstacles. It's not like nothing happens. She faces obstacles and she overcomes them and she gets what she's set out to mm-hmm. to conquer. But yeah, she's completely unchanged by those things. And it would seem that all of the other characters are only there to kind of like get down on all fours and let her kind of walk over these issues. Like, okay, she she wouldn't have had the confidence to address this affair or the leaked emails or whatever, if not for Mindy Kaling. And then everything just carries on. They're not even friends. Yeah. There's very little resolution, if Mm -hmm. any, I mean, other than this kind of half-hearted audioless epilogue at the end that shows that, Oh, there's a few more people of color in the writing room now. Or like you know, kind of slapping it over her head that they've changed the demographic yeah. of the writing room. But mm-hmm. has Emma Thompson really changed? Her character is still mean and still, yeah. you know, very self-centered. But again, I, they there were plot holes there where like we we meet Charlie, who Molly first starts this have this kind of love affair with. He's the really handsome guy that does stand-up comedy, and mm-hmm. he takes a liking to her. And she realizes that it's all he's just there to sleep with her, but she's gonna kind of go along with it anyway. And then he ends up being the one that has the affair or has had the affair previously with Catherine. And after this is revealed, he just isn't there anymore. He just, he just literally isn't in the he movie disappears. anymore. Yeah. yeah. No explanation. No. Nothing. Well, kind He's of gone. an explanation. His friend, whatever the guy that you guys both yeah. like, is like, oh, yeah, he does He does this. He, he just, just disappears. Oh, yeah. And we're just like, I guess we'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah. He, Thanks, yeah. Tom. And I actually thought he was pretty funny at the at the moments he actually had he was very on charming. screen. I thought he had some good jokes. His stand-up wasn't terrible. I did, too. I loved the three-week bit alarm with his phone. I was like, oh, that's cute. I love uh-huh. that. And yeah. then I loved when he kind of finds Catherine in the stairs, and she's yeah. like, oh, no, not again. Like, yeah. nope, that was in the... Like, I, I appreciated the way he was being threaded into the plot, and then, it, it <laughs> and then he's gone. gone. I thought he was a very interesting character that they underutilized, just like yeah. they completely underutilized John Lithgow yes um, mm-hmm. and then Ike Barinholtz oh, God. as a character playing a Dane Cook style stand-up comedian yeah. who was not funny at all mm-hmm. who was slated to take over the show take yeah. over the show so the thing with that that bugged me the most was he was slated to take over the show but you you have to be at least moderately funny to host a late night show but they like I know they were trying to make him seem like a bad stand-up comic, mm-hmm. but they went too far with it mm. in making this un- almost unwatchable stand-up bits whenever they showed him on screen. It was terrible. What was his bit that he says on the TV when Catherine's sitting in the bar? It was something about how she was watching. He was watching Game of Thrones with his with his girlfriend. And she's like, there's so much female nudity in here. And he's like, well, I can show you male nudity and whipped out his nuts. And she's like, wow, this is nuts. <laughs> or something along those yeah. lines. It was, it, it I was mean, bad. I didn't do it any justice, but there was no justice to be done. Uh, but honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, go ahead. But I, it fell flat in a lot of those places. There were a lot of characters that were that were hitting us over the head for, for various reasons, but didn't have any kind of movement. I would have loved to have a redemption with Charlie. Hugh Dancy. Mm-hmm. Hugh Dancy is, by the way, one of the most charming actors I've ever seen. Um, he's kind of got this Hugh Grant thing going on, but more muscular. So he's like more of a millennial Hugh Grant. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have probably less th- on his criminal record too. But maybe a little bit. Well, here's my <laughs> gripe with all of these charming white men. 
you put all these charming white men and the joke is there's too many white men on the white men in the room. Mm-hmm. It became quickly not a joke because I couldn't keep track of who was <laughs> who. <laughs> also, it's like Tom, Dick and Larry and Dave and Bob and, and whatever. And I Reynolds. just, I li- like you guys recognize this guy from some, from Veep or whatever. Yeah. I have no idea who these people are. I couldn't keep anyone straight. <laughs> it was only like halfway through conversations where I was like contextually able to put together who she was talking to again. Yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, that's the enemy guy who does the monologues. And oh, that's the cute guy that, you know, mm-hmm. they're going to fuck. <laughs> I, c- I couldn't keep anything straight. Yeah. Was that the point, though? It seems to me like they were intentionally, it was like watching American Horror Story or Ryan Reynolds' show of any kind. All the white guys were beautiful and looked the same, and you can't tell. But if was that who. was the point, I don't think she would have forged a, like a meaningful romantic relationship yeah. with one of them. Right. If the point was to keep them all mixed up, that would have been a really, really funny bit, and yeah. they all would have laughed about it in the room at the very end in uh-huh. the montage. Yeah. She wouldn't have ended up, you know, uh, he wouldn't have ended up kissing her on the shoulder and me going, who the fuck's that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think that was the point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally understand what you're saying because at, at some points it was just they looked so similar and they weren't that different personality wise. It As a flaw, it almost struck a stronger chord to its purpose unbeknownst <laughs> to itself. <laughs> I love that. That was that was great. Thanks. No, but I'll be here. <laughs> <laughs> Try the veal. But but it was interesting because she forms this romantic relationship at the end so quickly that we're supposed to like feel good about it now. He treated her like shit throughout the entire movie mm-hmm. and said that she was worthless and a single mom that was just uh, affirmative action hire. Sure. And now he's all of a sudden willing to help her. There was no nothing sparked in it for nothing. him. Nothing. Like other than the fact that his friend's a total dick. Okay, we get that. But you're still friends with them because it's easier than not being friends with them. Okay, we get it. You're so sad. Your yeah. plight is so awful. Mm-hmm. But then there's just there's nothing that convinces me that that turned around so quick that they're now lovers. No. Even if it's a year later, or however long the epilogue was after the fact, but it just it was it, everything was rushed. And you know what? I'm gonna bash Mindy Kaling for a second. Okay, here oh we go. Gosh. Mindy Kaling writes hot guys falling in love with her. Every project she's in. <laughs> And I'll just point out, Mindy Kaling is single, love and life, prime of her life. She's always writing some super hot dudes macking on her in every single project. That sounds like uh, an Adam Sandler trope as well. Oh, yeah. Mm. Adam Sandler does that in almost all of his movies. You got to yeah. give you gotta give her credit for it. <laughs> do she's I? She's been able to do it, and she's been able to get paid big money for it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's getting a little old. Yes. It is. Yeah. It, it, it's very Adam Sandler-like. Isn't yeah, right? It? Isn't it? <laughs> so when it comes to the plot, there's really nothing innovative here. Clearly, Emma Thompson's character, we we can, we have a consensus. She doesn't change much. There's really nothing to root for in this movie. Mindy even doesn't have something that we can strive or be happy for Mm-mm. because she just is getting the opportunity to serve someone more. Yeah. Like It was kind of like it was a total letdown. Like, oh, she doesn't really have an arc that we can be happy about. And she wrote this yeah. for herself. And she's a complete throwaway character. Right. Can, can I say that I was surprised that this movie was rated R? Was it rated R? It was rated R. Be- for what? Uh, because some Language a little bit. Um, because I was really confused. Because I thought it was rated PG-13. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Holly, I can't think of her. Uh, Amy Ryan. Caroline. Her, her character. Her character is Caroline. I don't even know. Was it mentioned? Yeah, she's my favorite character in okay. the entire thing. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, uses, or she says fuck early in the movie. Yes. And I was like, oh, shit. Is this movie rated R? Because they would not waste their one PG-13 fuck 
mm-hmm. on this throwaway line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I looked it up and it's rated R. And I was like, why is this rated R? You could have taken a couple of fucks out and it would have mm-hmm. been a fine PG-13 movie. Yeah. There was nothing else about it that made it seem no, like there were it no drug be... references. We didn't even there weren't even allusions to them having sex. Yeah. It was Amy like Amy Ryan was your favorite character. She was, and hear me out. Hear me out. Here's why. Her because... intentions flip flopped faster than this show's ratings. <laughs> <laughs> Again, she's here till Thursday, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> No, I, I liked her because she was straight talking. Every other character seemed to dance around what their point was, and hers was pretty straightforward. She's like, you're not any good. We're going to get you off the show. I don't find you funny anymore. Yeah, but and then she the had... next minute, she was like, you did great. We're saving the show. It's yours. And then like, I felt like you got the cliched crossing her arms and like smiling. <laughs> Smirk. Yeah, like, yeah. I knew she'd be great. I just, it was, for me, it was, my favorite scene was the opening with her, when we were first introduced to her, and they had this banter back and forth about Doris Kearns Goodwin, and yeah. why she's brought on the show and why Emma Thompson thinks she's valuable as a historian to interview and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I, that banter is something that I really appreciated. I saw two seasoned actresses doing a, a scene the best they could with limited material, but acting it out of the park is what I thought it was. Okay. Um, right. And I, I really like Amy Ryan. I really loved her in Gone, Gone, uh, Gone Baby Gone, which was her Oscar-nominated performance. And this was so different for me. Like, High Flax was a character that I got really annoyed with in The Office. Mm-hmm. So to see her be kind of mean and to see her have this this different side of, of that character that I was used to, harkening more back to Gone Baby Gone, is why I liked it. Not saying it was a beautifully written role because it was such a throwaway for someone of her stature, but I just I liked that banter between the two sure. of them. Um, when you're talking about strong performances by by two females talking about non male related things, this is the uh, the Bechdel test. Uh, they never once talked about the influence of men in their career, what they were doing. Right. She was just saying that you're not you're not relevant anymore, and we need to figure out a way around it. It just was not a performance at all for me. This okay. was this was Amy playing, playing at me, and she wasn't okay. actually mean to me. No, I thought Emma really mastered this role, and I okay. thought it it was a stellar performance on her end. What about Mindy? Mindy just played Mindy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't think much of it, and there just was so not enough to that character arc that I I just couldn't get down with it. Yeah. It took a while to even find interest in what was happening on the screen, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. once I kind of was like, Okay, I get it. I think I get it. I it was done. Mm-hmm. Like it, it really was nothing that was nothing surprised me in the movie. I kind of watched it the way Sam watches it because I was like, okay, he's probably gonna treat her like shit. Oh, big big surprise! He treated her like shit. Mm-hmm. Come into my world. <laughs> yeah. I also the what I thought was gonna be my saving grace was seen inside of a writer's room written yeah. by a writer who sits in writer's room sure i was excited about that she pitches one joke the whole movie yeah she pitches an abortion menopause joke <laughs> that's gonna save the whole fucking show yeah i oh yeah no it, it was a tough joke to anchor the whole plot on yes <laughs> right we're supposed to believe that they hired a quality control assistant from the chemical plant onto this late night show with zero qualifications, and then she pitches one joke. Talk about suspending your disbelief. It really wasn't there for. And maybe, I mean, there could be something said about being selfless about that, where you write a quality movie that makes everyone else look good and you don't look so good. But when you're the center of, the, of that plot, you have to look somewhat decent. Yeah. I mean, other than making out with guys the whole time, what what purpose did she serve? None. 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 <laughs> I'm really disappointed because I really was looking forward to what you were talking about this this insider look. Yeah. At what a writing room looks like, and even when Seth Meyers has this little cameo in it, I was like, "Yeah, okay, this is smart." 
Uh-huh. Or, or I, I like the, the direction you're taking this, but then it was just, it fell completely flat. Yes. Yeah. It was like she called in a lot of favors. She sure did. And none of it panned out. Yeah. I wanted so much more Seth Meyers. I was, I was very excited when he came on screen. Yeah. And he was in one scene, probably because he had an afternoon off. And and, and they were already did his at one thing. 50 Rockefeller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was already at his office in New York. And 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 it probably office was his office, and, too. Yeah. I'm sure it was. Yeah. Oh. Uh, well, there's clearly not much there for plot-wise in this movie, but technically, was there anything that we could bring out of it? I mean, I think comedy in itself is, is a risk to take, especially now, when, when you've got jokes. I mean, jokes like an abortion joke in that context wasn't offensive, but... You know, one one joke can be completely misconstrued and ruin the entire thing. Mm -hmm. That's why some directors have even stepped away from comedy, just because they don't think they can do it safely Mm -hmm. in today's audience. But was there anything visually or or, or, um, just entertaining outside of the plot or the script? No, I don't think so. (laughs) That's a no for me, Cotton. I I think it was shot like a TV show. I think if it was made into a TV show, it would be one average season of TV. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't think there were any shots that i was like oh that one was that one was pretty and that's yeah. not really what this kind of movie is going no. for you're not you're not looking to to change uh change the game with that but honestly technically i didn't i didn't feel anything out of the ordinary it felt pretty pretty by the numbers nothing okay. stands out to me yeah it was like being on the 30 rock set or something like sure. nothing crazy about it nothing stunning about any shots that i can really remember or lighting i do think if, if one thing really stands out to me i do think the final monologue uh where she addresses the scandal live yeah. on the air was okay. really pretty like the okay. lighting yeah. was really nice and i loved that they didn't you know, just people weren't like watching it on a TV screen all around the city or whatever. It was just kind of really close and tight on her face. Mm-hmm. And we oh, kind thank of goodness they didn't do that. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been funny? Oh, um, see, well, I could write a real parody. <laughs> uh, well, see, I, funny you mentioned that because I think they did show it like with people watching like Mindy was crying and watching it in her own house on the TV screen. Yeah, I guess you're right. Her husband oh, was man. watching it on the screen. Yeah. I want, we're going to come back to this because I, I do. That's one of my. I know one attacks. of your slams is there, but yeah, I did yeah. think that was really pretty, and maybe that's just because I was I was pretty impressed with Emma's performance, mm-hmm. and it was kind of cool. That was like one moment where I thought they were really capturing the essence, where Mindy was really capturing the essence of what she wanted to, of like a woman, you know tackling head on this scandal and being like screw slut shaming i did that thing it was totally a mistake mm-hmm. yeah and i'm, I'm here for the show yeah. and i love the show yeah. and i am still the same person whatever. yeah I, I think emma thompson had some really great moments in this movie mm-hmm. i don't know if i'd say it would be an all-out great performance i mm-hmm. think she was very good in certain parts of it yeah for sure yeah. the why, material just wasn't there why did she say yes to this <sighs> Because it was probably pitched as a Devil Wears Prada type character. And okay. I think it's a great character. Yeah, it is. It's a great, great idea of a character. And if you went to Emma Thompson, you're, you're playing this powerful late night host who falls mm-hmm. into scandal and, and is tackling issues like, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. The whole laundry list of things that Mindy Kaling tries to tackle in this. <laughs> it makes sense on paper. We uh-huh. just didn't have enough time to flush it out. No. And that was it. And, and part of me wonders if Paul Feig was was behind the director's chair, if he would have brought out some of those more comedic elements. Because I think the struggle with this was it, it, it hearkened too much on comedy at the wrong times. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were tackling some serious issues that were not laughable. It's not funny for you to cheat on your husband after he's diagnosed with Parkinson's. Like, that's not a... You don't joke about that. And well, for some reason, I couldn't connect with it because they just... 
ill fated, ill timed it. I don't think Paul Feig would have nailed that either. No, okay. Um, because he did a simple favor. And True. there's some moments in Simple Favor that are supposed to be a little bit more serious mm-hmm. and then like bookended by the most ridiculous slapstick kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I don't know if he would have been able to handle that either. Okay. Well, one thing I do want to mention that I did like technically mm-hmm. was the the music that they selected because I'm, a, I'm all for a good pop soundtrack. And uh, one of my favorite songs right now is Light On by Maggie Rogers, and it was in the movie, so I kind of felt good about that. <laughs> what else um, is in it? I can't even remember. I mean, not nothing popular. I just happened to know that one because I, mm. I watched okay. her perform it live on Saturday Night Live, and I really became a fan of hers. Um, but there were some other like dance hits and things like that. But the one thing I did notice when looking at the, the list of songs, I was trying to find one that I liked, and clearly it wasn't that relevant because I can't remember it. But there was a song written for the movie uh, called Forward Motion, and it's written by Diane Warren. And Diane Warren is one of my favorite people in Hollywood. She's a 10-time Oscar nominee, never won. She's a songwriter that's written songs like Don't Miss a Thing by Aerosmith or Because You Love Me by Celine Dion. More recently, she wrote Till It Happens to You with Lady Gaga for the Hunting Grunt documentary. Oh, wow. Um, She wrote uh, Stand Up for Something from Marshall that was sung by Andrew Day. Uh, you know, so she's got, she's got a huge plethora of these songs that she never wins, which makes me so sad. Uh, she wrote th- this big song for Jennifer Hudson for RBG, you know, that the documentary there. Mm. She's She's been nominated 10 times. And she wrote this really awful song that fits at the end credits of this movie that oh, no. has nothing to do with anything. It's just like it's tacked on at the end, girl power song. And it's just like, okay, Diane, this is so beneath you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's let's get into some critical reception of this. We covered the sure. plot. We covered some technical things where there wasn't much to talk about on either subject, mm-hmm. but there's plenty to talk about on how, what we think of things, and we've been bashing it already, so we can continue yeah. that. But Sam, why don't you hit us with some numbers? Here are the numbers. We have a meta score of 71. We have an IMDb audience score of 6.6 out of 10, mm-hmm. a Rotten Tomatoes score of 79%, and an audience score of 77%. No. So this movie was popular, Wow. Um, it, it got it got a lot of critical reception. And I think part of it would have to do with the subject matter itself. I think yeah. I think that will push it a little bit further. I think it's a some great subject matter. I just think it was handled really poorly. Mm-hmm. I read a few full length reviews and critics loved this. They thought it was fresh. They loved what it was tackling. They thought yeah. Emma Thompson was brilliant and like yeah. I'm I'm half baked on all those fronts. <laughs> well, I was excited to watch it. Yeah, because I, I like I saw the trailer and it's like, okay, this is something that could be really really funny. Mm. Yeah, and then the trailer was like, okay, you hit you're hitting some funny stuff here. I, I like the way you flow. I like the way that this is shaping. And then Emma wasn't anything revolutionary. I saw the trailer and immediately thought it was going to be stupid. Really? Mm -hmm. The trailer didn't even hit for me. I was telling Sam earlier, I was trying to get a friend to come over and watch this with me. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, what are you watching? I'll watch the trailer. And I was like, don't watch the trailer because I knew they wouldn't come over and watch it with me. Uh Like I thought even from the trailer flop. Wow. Okay. Well, it really wasn't a major flop. It made about $15.5 million domestically, and I think it's upwards to $20 million uh, globally. There's only like a $4 million budget or something like that. Yeah, they well, I mean, uh, Amazon paid top dollar $13 million for oh, it. Yeah, I guess right. yeah. So there's a lot of money in the acquisition of the film, but the film technically was successful in sure. its budget. But again, I think this is where Amazon is 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 better than Netflix is they can take a movie to theaters and do better with it than a Netflix model can because Amazon will put it in theaters before it hits their platform forcing people to go and pay to watch it. Mm-hmm. Now we 
waited for it and waited for it to come onto Amazon Prime to watch it. But I just I don't get how that was so successful because I do not yeah. see anyone going to want to watch this other than you picking up like the the sixty year old ladies who go to the theater at seven o'clock at night and like oh what should we watch tonight. And that's not to be mean to any kind of demographic, but like I know people who just go to the theater and like, oh, what's playing? Well, I think mm-hmm. big Mindy Kaling fans would just would go to support. Are uh, there such things as I th- big Mindy Kaling? I think fans? there are more than you'd think. I okay. think it's a name attached to something too that means something to a group of people. Yeah, you might even just get Office fans that that would go to this. One hundred percent, I yeah. think people would just see this and think Mindy Kaling. Oh hell yeah! I'm still trying to live out my Office glory days. <laughs> yeah. like anything attached to it, it's like it's like the same thing with wine country big parks and rec fans big yeah. whatever right. amy polar fans they're all over it comparing this now that you you brought up wine country uh, i know that we were mostly big fans of wine country even yeah. though we thought it fell flat in a couple of places this over that that over this if you were to recommend one to somebody totally that over this okay yeah okay i mean i prefer movies that know Okay, this is going to sound really bad, especially in the context of this film. But I like movies that understand their place. Mm-hmm. You know, they understand what their what their job is and what their audience is, and they they strive to go for that audience. That's one thing we gave Amy credit or Amy Puller a lot of credit for was she knew her audience and she targeted and pandered to them. Mm-hmm. Not not always a great thing, but she built a movie that her audience would like. And Mindy tried to bring everybody in. Yes, in Wine Country, albeit a hot mess. It held our interest. Yes. I watched yeah. it beginning to end, even though I was kind of like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> this was just too much, and it, it and it lost my interest immediately. It just became sure. boring. I didn't want any of the loose ends to be tied yeah, up. I didn't yeah. care. Okay. Well, now that we've been slamming, I think it's officially time to take people to the slam zone. Heck yeah. And welcome to the jam. <laughs> Come, Come on, on now and slam. slam. And welcome to the slam jam. Bam. So I think Wham. We, we both we both have a couple here, right? I have one big one. So I why don't you give a couple first? All right, some I'll Sam do a slams. Couple. Wham. Okay. okay, Sam, give us some Sam slams. My first one is is it a chemical plant named chemical plant? Because I know it's a joke, but that's a bad resume, right? Because he asked the question, uh, so you worked on chemical plant. Uh was that what what show was that or what channel was that on mm-hmm. or something like that? And she's like, no, it was an actual chemical plant. Mm. Wait, you didn't have the title of your, your company? Well, maybe Listed underneath the, top the title, it was like allergic or whatever. And then it said chemical, chemical plant. plant. Generic. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Gosh. And, and like, that's all they referred it to. I, like that joke. seven times during the movie, yeah. they brought up the chemical plant. Factory. I was just like, oh, yeah. that resume is horrible. Someone should have gone to a dark little theater in New York City and stumbled down the stairs completely empty and apologized for making that joke. <laughs> I'm referring to the Emma Thomas and John Lithgow apology. Yes. <laughs> Someone should have apologized to me straight, straight to my face for writing that joke. And I think it's Mindy Kaling. I, I just love the fact that we have a character completely disappear from the movie and Sam's biggest gripe is how she presents her resume. <laughs> It's an it, issue. It was an issue to me. <laughs> okay. My Accepted. Next, my next one might be my biggest one. Slow. You've and, been slammed. And that is Mindy Kaling still had to MC the rest of that charity event that she, Emma Thompson took her from after performing. <laughs> She was. She, yeah, she was the first performer. The event did not end. She, yeah, she was the MC. She quit her job to go MC this event for cancer, which her dad died for. Emma Thompson shows up, does a set, walks off, and like, 
Mindy Kaling, you're coming with me. And I'm like, no, there is the rest of the show yeah. that she has to put on. Also, How- Emma Thompson mostly bombs. Yeah, she was awful. <laughs> she comes in and almost ruins the whole thing in yeah. the process. She, she mostly bombs and then ad-libs a set that apparently just kills. <laughs> yeah, she we got don't a know. standing ovation with five lines. We don't yeah. know what she said, but she said it. Yeah. She had a funny a couple of jokes about her age that she ad libs. Like, there's no fucking way. No. Stand up is so much harder than that. Yeah. Simba, can you see it? Plot holes. Plot holes everywhere. <laughs> Plot holes as far as yeah, I can see. Everything okay, I, I have a Mac attack. Go for it. And Woo! We, we've already <laughs> We've already alluded to it a little bit. But it's it's the scene where she's giving this this big you know monologue at the end to apologize, but mm-hmm. also to give a middle finger to the haters uh, at the end of the movie and mm-hmm. to admit her affair. Mm-hmm. Everyone's watching it as if it's live mm-hmm. when already at the beginning of the show they mentioned that they record at six thirty at night. Uh huh. So how is that possible to have it be streaming live when you record four hours before you go on? Oh, dual yeah. timelines. Have you ever seen Lost? <laughs> <laughs> They are watching it in real time, and she yes. is recording at six thirty. Don't question what happens there in the middle. Nope. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have questioned, it, even though I know that's how late night works. I wouldn't have questioned it unless she made a point to put it in the script of when they recorded and actually have it included in the film just to shoot it down. Sure. Yeah. Attack. Mindy. Yeah, that's a good one. Thank you. I got a couple more. You've been attacked. Oh, Ooh! you got <laughs> Your face when you do that is so funny. <laughs> We need to edit a camera. So, if if Mindy fan, uh, Mindy's character was such a big fan of Catherine, uh-huh. mm-hmm. how did she not know she was knighted or like anything about her awards? Um, like we get a scene of her watching like one of her '90s shows. She's like talking about all these different things that she's done in her past, mm-hmm. and she doesn't know that this person is knighted by the Queen. I will defend that one but, by uh, saying. I like Stephen Colbert and had no idea he lost his dad and brothers in an, an airplane accident. That's different. If somebody changes the way that they are introduced as to switch it to Dame in <laughs> front of someone's name, you should know that. You don't need to know about their family history. You should know about how they are introduced. Kate, slam accepted or not accepted? Not accepted. Not accepted. Boo. Sure. Okay. My next one. Slam. It's not really a slam. Slam. <laughs> We have more fun with this than you do. <laughs> Last slam. Sorry. It's yes. not really a slam, though. It's Last not really slam. a slam. Um, what channel is this show on? That's, that's just my general question. So many late night hosts are mentioned in this. Mm-hmm. So it takes place technically in the real world. Because we hear about Colbert. We hear about Fallon. Seth Meyers is in this movie. Okay, yeah. They talk about John Oliver. So they talk about most of the late night hosts. What channel would she be on? I think they they bring up Conan, too. National Geographic. (laughs) (laughs) She's not on cable. We know that. No network TV for her. Yeah. I I was just very confused. I'm like, there are are already a ton of late night hosts. Yeah. And if they mention one on every network, what could she possibly be? Right. They never brought... Well, they did bring up Colbert. I don't think they brought up Corden. No ABC. No, they brought up Kimmel. They did? They brought up Kimmel. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. She's on... E. <laughs> after Chelsea Handler's show. Yeah. Well, you you bring us into a good discussion uh, overall. Is just a fun thing to br- extract from this. Is who is our favorite late night personality? 
mm-hmm. because yeah. I don't know about you all, but I don't really, I don't stay up to watch late night, but I catch it on YouTube the next day almost religiously. Yep. Right. I watch clips on my lunch yeah. break for sure. And in my free time and when they pop up, when people post them, yeah. I love late night clips. Well, we're in a really unique generation here where we've got, we, I remember watching Leno and Letterman when I was younger and watching them, I actually staying up to watch them when for I was sure. young. Um, and then we had this great changing of the guard in the last five years where every one of those guys retired mm-hmm. and we got this whole new spew of shows. Do you remember your favorite bit from late night when you actually watched late night and you might not have really cared about the guests? Favorite bit or favorite like actual thing I remember? Segment. I don't. I just I, remember Letterman used to do, I was probably like 10, uh-huh. used to do a segment called Will it float? <laughs> Where they actually wheeled out like a large glass pool that you could see and him and what's his music guy's name? Paul Paul Schaefer. Paul Schaefer. They would just drop things in it and be like, will it float? And I remember being my parents being like, oh, we love Letterman. And I was like, oh, I love David Letterman. This is hilarious. The thing I remember, it, was, it wasn't a segment or a running thing, but mm-hmm. on Jay Leno one night, he did, do you remember that Audrey Hepburn commercial for like, it was. It must have been like Nike or, or or something like that. And it's her dancing to um, ACDC, and it's like an old clip of her doing like ballet moves. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just for, vaguely for, for for the sake of the story, <laughs> trying to remember it. Yeah. But what they did is they took Jay's face and they put it on her body, mm-hmm. and his face just like it's still like it's still like a picture, but it's making different expressions. I thought it was hilarious. Okay. Love it. Yeah. But I mean, I, I definitely have new favorites now. But who who are you watching or who do you uh, pay attention to? Do you want me to go first? I I just wanted to throw it. back. You talk about this changing of the guard, and yeah. that's so evident. None of us are watching TV as it really happens. Mm-hmm. Like, right. We're in a time where these late night hosts have millions of YouTube followers yes. because that's how people sure. are digesting this content, and that is so crazy. And you can see that shows have catered to that now. Yes, 100%. Where, yeah, Fallon was kind of the first one to start doing the, the shticks. The shticks, and then cutting them into those three to five segments. So yep. someone will be on for a full segment of the TV show, but they'll cut that person's interview and stories yes. and bits into three to five minute videos and right. put them all on their channel yeah. the next day. It's They're so shareable. Yeah. And Ellen does it. Seth does it. Fallon does it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wonder if this is kind of a stretch, but I wonder if Oprah even like if daytime TV was in its heyday like it like it used to be. Sure. How that would be impacted by the new YouTube age. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I'm not staying up to watch it, but I'm also at work during the day. So how am I going to watch that show anymore? You know, Ellen's doing it very I mean, successfully. She's been successful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But of course, Ellen does the shticks too. Oprah would never do shticks. She would be a hard right. hitting interviewer with Doris Kearns Goodwin. Right. <laughs> Okay, so Sam, who is someone in Late Night that you enjoy watching or find humorous? Um, I think the one I watched uh, recent, earlier today, mm-hmm. I watched uh, a clip from uh, Seth Meyers. Seth Meyers okay. is one of my absolute favorites. I loved him when he was on SNL. Mm-hmm. I just think he's so smart, and he, he gets really political with his show, which I really enjoy as well. Um, just for s- silliness... I really like Conan. I still okay. really, really like Conan. Even on uh, TBS, I still watch some of his interviews. I think he's so good, and he has so many friends that it it it, it just flows so easily with him. Oh, I hate Conan. Yeah, I'm not a fan really? either. I'm no, not a I fan. I just don't like Conan. What I'm about Andy Richter? Slimy to me. <laughs> Andy trying to be Ed McMahon. Um, I, I will say that Seth. I, I like his his bit of joke Seth can't tell, which mm-hmm. is hilarious with his with his two female writers. Um, I can never remember their names, but do you know what they are? I, I don't. Okay. But he, 
I love that he's in this in this movie in, in Late Night because mm-hmm. they kind of copied one of his segments for the segment that sh- that Emma Thompson's does mm-hmm. with the white savior thing. I love the white savior bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. cuz he does a white savior parody that's hilarious like parodying all these white savior movies. Yeah. And I love it. And uh That was the funniest part of the entire movie Late Night that we watched. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. Um and like I like his bits where he does second chance theater where he brings in mm. some SNL cast and they get a retry uh, a, ske- a sketch that didn't work the first time and okay. to see oh, if it I've works the second those. time. That sounds hilarious. Oh my gosh. There's one with Andy Samberg that is hysterical. Hmm. Um, and then he does one that's like clear, clears the air with uh, uh, Seth Meyers where he has a guest on and they just apologize to each other for things that they've done. <laughs> and it gets more and more absurd as it goes uh-huh. along. And he does it with Bill Hader and Andy Samberg and a bunch of different people. Okay. It's fantastic. SNL is just infiltrated. Oh, for sure. Night. And it's on NBC, so yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, the once a week one that I will watch religiously whenever it's on is Last Week Tonight with John mm-hmm. Oliver. His yeah. stuff is perfect, He's in my stellar. opinion. Yeah. And that's why he wins all the Emmys. Yeah, he has been. Yeah. Literally, Catherine Newberry lost her Emmys to John Oliver. That was a joke in, in the movie. Oh, yeah. So, Kate, who are you listening to? Or who are you watching? I love Kimmel for the interview. Okay. okay. I love Fallon for the games. I think Fallon is choosing just like the most fun, ridiculous things to be doing. It mm-hmm. sounds like I need to be getting into more Seth sketches that are oh, happening. Yeah. Some recurring segments. Yeah, I would love that. But I think uh, that sounds really like sketchy and fun, which makes total sense for Seth. And mm-hmm. then Fallon going in with a really silly games where he has to just kind of be himself and really laugh and host people. Mm-hmm. I think that's really sweet. And he's doing some funny stuff there. And he has a lot of really good reoccurring one now, reoccurring games now that are going just viral every single time yeah. because people understand the format and they just want to see new people in that role right. i love that these guys that are coming from saturday night live are doing full-on <laughs> sketches that are now becoming popular in, in the late night time mm-hmm. like he does sarah with no h because h is our l that he does it plays this little girl and he brings on jimmy fallon didn't i do a character about like that similar <laughs> no that wasn't me that was it was someone else. Owen McEntee. Yeah. Shit face. Shit face, Sarah. It's a very different different character. This okay. is a little girl. Um, but he did it with Michelle Obama, he did it with Taylor Swift and John Cena dressed up as a girl, mm-hmm. Channing Tatum dressed up as a girl. Um, I love Fallon because he's just abandoned it. His uh, sheer he abandons all comfortability. He doesn't care. He'll he'll do whatever it takes to to get the laugh, mm-hmm. whether it makes him look good or not. Because he's an awful impressionist, but he continues to do these impressions. So many impressions of the same people every time. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love Fallon's uh, willingness. Just not even willingness, but his just his hearty laugh with everyone else. Yeah. Too. People people make the joke like it's very memeable that like Jimmy Fallon will laugh at anything <laughs> like anyone opens their mouth and he laughs. Uh-huh. But I never doubt whether that laugh is genuine. I think he just like he just has this like joie de vie. And when people sit down in his chair, he just is like truly, truly bright and vivid and with them and thinks they're funny. And excited to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say James Corden for me still takes it because okay. I think he... One can have a political discussion, but not be in a place that makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. Where I think Colbert has a very divisive uh, structure. Clearly, it's working for him because he's got the highest ratings in late night TV. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not saying I don't like him. I just you know if people don't follow the news, some of his jokes are hard to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love Corden um, being willing to take his show outside of 
the the set that's been created for him. Sure. You know, like he does the the carpool karaoke. I love right. those. Well, that kind of um, changed the game. That completely. Yeah. I mean, he won Emmys for that sketch alone. Right. Um, but I love when he does the crosswalk musicals and mm-hmm. like he plays this total just <laughs> asshole version of himself that thinks he's the star of the planet and they mm-hmm. do these shows in, at the crosswalk in front of his studio in Burbank. I hate the way James Corden makes two celebrities sit down next to each other and be interviewed. I was just going to say that. I oh hate the way he interviews people. That's God. a very British thing, though, because Graham Norton does that. Yeah. It's, it's, that's the it style. It is infuriating. And you can see on the faces of the people on that couch how uncomfortable it is they so, are. Because he leans right in and will talk right over someone, and they literally will just have to like sit there while he has a discussion yeah. with this person, and then he has a discussion with this person, and then you just kind of hope that there's some crossover there and they start chiming in together but sometimes it's just ridiculously uncomfortable yeah, yeah. i watched uh him interview zoe deschanel and john mulaney the other day just like a really old clip i don't yeah. know what mm-hmm. it's from but um it was horribly uncomfortable like they did not know how to interact with yeah. each other at all and john mulaney was not making her laugh and now i hate zoe deschanel <laughs> <laughs> and i and i watched one that was it was mark hamill and some I, I don't don't remember who Gabrielle it was. Union. Like, like just something like a that. YouTube like the celebrity. Most uncomfortable pairing. It was like some really young starlet and like it was the weirdest pairing and they like they didn't even look at each other at points and it's really uncomfortable for me, but I love Corden's bits. Yeah. I mm-hmm. love carpool karaoke. I like it when he does someone's filmography in oh, ten yeah. minutes yeah. where he's with like Tom Hanks or mm-hmm. something and it's great. I love when he played the cat from Paula Abdul's Opposites Attract video and danced the choreography with Paula Abdul. Yeah. Or his live Tinder things. I think those are great. And shout <laughs> so out funny. to Kimmel's celebrity read, celebrities read mean tweets about yes. themselves. That's also I mean, he piloted genius. that too. Yeah. For me, interviews are Bill Maher though. Bill Maher has the best interviews. He's, he's pointed. You know what you're getting when you watch his show. He's very, very one-sided. But people that can do a good interview with Bill Maher are great interviewers. Yeah. So I like I like him for that purpose. He's just a dick, so I don't like him. He is he's a dick, but I I <laughs> <laughs> politically I politically I enjoy his commentary and the people he gets on his show better than any other late night show. Okay. But one thing that's interesting that we ne- didn't really cover in this, which is the whole point of the movie Late Night, is we have very few female representatives mm-hmm. in sure. late night comedy. Yeah. Um, just when going through the list and trying to find a few, um, currently we've got Sam B on TBS. I mean, right. that's not a major network, but no. she's got a weekly show. Well, that's where Conan is now too, right? Yeah, yeah. but he's every night. He's every night. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's every Wednesday, I think. Um, oh. And uh, another big one was Joan Rivers, who did the Tonight Show for a while. She was always a guest host for Jenny Carson until they had yeah. a huge falling out, and she mm-hmm. had a Joan Rivers show for a while late night. Um, but I just learned um, that as of last week, or you know, as of last week we were filming, there is a new woman in late night on a network television program. Uh, her late night show is called A Little Late Night with Lily Singh, and she is a woman of color. She is on at 1.30 in the morning, so it's pretty late. Mm-hmm. She just took over for Carson Daly, whose last call show ended. So she's on NBC. Sure. I've never heard of her before. I don't think she does. I don't think that I, this has been advertised very well no. sure because um i mean i can tell you everything about this is us but i don't know anything about yeah. lily singh but i we found this cool chart that just shows the percentage of women writers mm-hmm. now you mentioned you wanted that background point of view um and how that works uh represented in the movie late night 
But there are a few shows here that have pretty high percentages, but not a single show in Late Night Today has 50% representation of women in the writing room. Um, Sam B's Full Frontal has the highest with 45%. Um, Seth Meyers is in a third place at 28%. It's a big drop. It, that is a big drop, but he tries to get those female writers on the show, on the show. as much as he possibly yes. can. Yes, I, like we already talked about jokes Seth can't yeah. tell. Um, John Oliver is 25%, James Corden 24 They really hover around the early to mid-20s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but funny thing, Conan only has 17% female representation on his writing staff. Um, and this he, is as he of feels June. like the old guard, though, so that doesn't seem to make, or that kind of makes a little bit of sense. It, uh, kind of, but even David Letterman had a ton of female writers on the show. It just it depends on how we utilize them. Some of these people have been successful in bringing those writers to the to the forefront of sure. their shows. Sam B constantly has her female correspondence going out in a daily show type format. Sure, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's just an interesting conversation to think that even today we have one or two technically late night female hosts Mm -hmm. um, that we even have a movie about one now and that really hasn't done much to change the conversation because these male comedians have gotten so entrenched in their shows now and they're all young. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't think of any of them leaving. Right. Like Letterman was on for what, 25 years and Carson was on for 30 years. I mean, there's, this is a lifetime gig once you hit one of these and we, I mean, Stephen Colbert is probably the oldest one. um, Yeah, he might be. He's still got another 20 years in him if he wants it. Yeah. I don't know. It, it just—it's kind of a bleak point of view that this—that late night, sure. um, the movie highlights for us, mm-hmm. that this representation, though called out in very explicit terms in the movie, hasn't done much to change the right. landscape of late night TV. And as we've mentioned some of these names, it's made me think. I'm like, who would I want to host a late night show? Yeah, because it's a good question. The the female comedians that are up there, I don't want them to host a show. I want them. To keep acting or keep doing yeah. stand-up or things like that. Sarah Silverman. Yeah, I would so, watch her show. She so, tried it for that, a while. Wouldn't that be a good one? She's got a I show on so. Hulu now that's more uh, more pre-recorded. You know, sure. I mean, not saying that late show is live, but you know, it's more got of canceled. a yeah, it got canceled. Mm-hmm. Chelsea Handler had a late night show for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, is that not still on the air? No, no, Chelsea lately isn't. She's moved into more documentaries. Yeah, and doing she some had more a show on stuff. Netflix as well. Yeah. 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 Uh, which was, was another kind of, talk show ar- format. Went around yeah. Middle America or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think Sarah Silverman would be great on network. Potentially, yeah. It, it's funny because it's hard for me to imagine a female comedian in their later part of their career. You know, because the guys that hit late night at this point, like James Corden, what was he going to really do outside of doing a late night show? Right. I mean, there wasn't much. I mean, can't think of Stephen Colbert doing anything other than sitting at a desk and right. being funny. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Fallon, same thing. Couldn't really act and couldn't really do Saturday Night Live very well. Yeah, so, he tried that. It yeah, did not give, work. Give him his own show. The woman who I would love to see on TV is Wanda Sykes. I think she'd be Ooh. funny. Mm-hmm. She's a much better person to be interviewed than interviewer, I think. Um, but I, I can see her being a funny presence in late night. Sure. But I, I can't say enough about Sam B. She's hilarious. Yeah. She doesn't take any... I mean, she she fights with, with everything. She's got every show. She's doing some hard-hitting political stuff. And I love watching her show. Okay. It's a lot of fun. Cool. I think if anyone were to make the... And we can just end right here and yeah. stop spec- speculating so wildly. <laughs> but moving Ellen into a late-night slot would really be the smartest hmm. thing that someone could ever do, I think. Do you think she would do it? No. Yeah. But I, mean, I think it'd be the, the perfect formula. Oh, absolutely. If she didn't already have a show, yeah, I, yeah. Would, I would say she would have been perfect. See, I, I kind of have to disagree. I don't think that she could do a late night style. Her her comedy is much cleaner than a late mm-hmm. night. She's not political in her comedy. And I think people look to late night for that style. Yeah. And I think she fits really well in her in her daytime yeah. slot. 
I don't know. Tiffany Haddish. Oh God, I would love it. I would N- too. Nicole Byer. I Nicole Byer would be hilarious too. Yeah. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of clips of Tiffany Haddish lately, She's so and I've funny. kind of fallen in love with her. <laughs> I watched a clip of her on Ellen today, and Ellen just asked, like, what's the one quality you look for in a man? And Tiffany Haddish, without skipping a beat, just goes, good credit. <laughs> that killed me. She's a bright star. I'm gonna. There's yeah. an Oscar nomination in her future, I guarantee it. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of Time Sensitive. We hope that our conversation about Anish Ganatra's Late Night and Emma Thompson and Mindy Kaling's performances encourage you to watch the movie or more likely not uh, with the way that we thought. But you can find us on social media. You can find us on YouTube. Search Time Sensitive. You can find us on Twitter by searching at TSMoviePod or find us on Instagram where we are there taking pictures of us having fun and posting fun pictures of movies and things like that. We've posted no pictures of us having fun. It's yeah, fine. we need, to, we need well, to get on top of that. We'll, we'll, we promise. We have no fun by, on the show. By the time this episode comes out, we will have at least one picture of us. <laughs> we are real humans. Uh, We just would like to end this episode the way that Emma Thompson ended every single one of her shows on Late Night. We just want to say, we hope we've earned the privilege of your time. I'm Ian. I'm Kate. And I'm Sam. Take care. What do I love? Fantasy football. I do love fantasy football, but what else do I love? Uh, making money. I love winning money, but no, no, no. Well, and that's not what I'm thinking of. Ooh, 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 I know. Sundays. I love Sundays, and I'm not talking ice cream, ladies and gentlemen. And if you love playing fantasy football, you need to check out the FTLS Fantasy Football Podcast with myself and Johnny Bats over here. Find us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app, and as always, check out all of our work at www.ftlsunday.com. Look forward to winning with you all year.